Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. I'm just going to come right out and say it. I think, I think coffee is divine. Can I get an amen? Amen. Right on. Um, coffee is a really special thing. It's a really special thing in our household in particular. Uh, when we moved into our house, uh, I made a pretty big point of saying, hey, we're going to buy an espresso machine. Um, and part of that was actually due to, due, due to a promise that I made to Georgia when we got married. Um, you see, when I was a kid, I have this memory of my dad always making coffee. I'm pretty sure it was like Nescafe. So I don't think it was great, but I remember him making coffee every morning. And so I always just liked that. It's something that's always stuck with me. And so when Georgia and I were we're sort of talking about marriage and moving into that next thing. I just remember making this promise. It's like, uh, I'll always make you coffee in the morning. And so I've been mostly faithful to that, except for the days where I forgot to pick up milk uh, or I've forgotten to buy coffee beans. But for the most part, it's, it's had this, this, uh, this anchor in our marriage. And so every morning I'll, I'll make coffee and we'll sit there on the couch. And sometimes we have these really meaningful conversations and sometimes we just sit in silence and sometimes we just joke. It's always different, but it's always really meaningful. And so to me, it's a sacred space. It's something that... Uh, I don't know, does something for us. And maybe Georgia's experience of it is a little bit different. I don't know. I think she appreciates the coffee. I know she does. Um, but it's, it's more than just the coffee, right? It's the space that it provides for us. It's actually something that, that's meaningful to our marriage, that does something. And so when I think about our time, our, our, our sacred space together for coffee, um, I think about how it anchors us in that promise and so almost, it's funny, almost every day I, th- I think about that promise I made and it's like, n- no matter what's going on, whether things have been re- like really hard, whether it's been a hard week or a good week or whether I'm tired or whether I'm feeling energetic, no matter what's going on, it's like there's always this, this small, seemingly insignificant, but actually incredibly meaningful act of love. It's something that I enjoy doing. I find a lot of joy in it. And so it anchors us, I think, in the promise. It allows us, I think, to always be present to each other, to have this little moment of, of sort of check-in and see uh, what, it, what each other is up to. And I think the other thing that it does, which is really cool, is that it centers us on something of a shared narrative. I'm a little bit more nerdy, so I don't really know what words Georgia would use to describe it. But, but for me, it centers us on this thing. And so when we have our coffee together and we pray together, it sort of sets us up for the day. So for me, it's the this sacred space. It's this important ritual. I think it provides us with something of a structure and I think that it strengthens our relationship. So it's more than just coffee. It's this thing that means something to us. And I think uh, relationships need these habits in order to grow and flourish. Without them, we risk neglecting the very thing that we love and find joy in. And so I'm not standing here saying that, you know, like when you're married or in your marriage, you should be having your coffee every day and you should invest in the world's best espresso machine and something, you know, something Italian, not a Breville or something like that. You know, it should be Italian made and it should be incredibly, I'm not saying that. But I am saying that in relationships, every relationship needs to find these little things, these little rituals, these little habits, these things that bring you back to the, the, the core of it. Like it's, a, it's a, an important thing for a relationship to have. 
whether it's a little morning time of devotional or whether it's a commitment to say, you know, I'm always gonna say like, I love you when I wake up in the morning. Relationships need these things that anchor us in the thing that we love and the person that we love and find our joy in. And the same is absolutely true for our relationship with God. Our relationship with God needs these little rituals, these little things that help us flourish in our relationship. Now, a few years ago, um, or maybe 10 years ago, or 12 years ago, I started seeing this, this thing around. Um, oh, this isn't working, Never mind. Um, I started seeing this thing around on, on YouTube. It was uh, this, this uh, spoken word poem, and it was really beautiful. Uh, we can go past the next one. The one after that, yeah, that one. Um, it was this poem called uh, "Religion is uh, sorry, relationship is better than religion," right? And so we talk about this thing like, oh, you know, the Christianity. It's 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 a relationship. It's not a religion. And so Jefferson Beathke, it's like it's a really cool poem. He kind of goes and launches into this thing about how how uh, how it's not about being religious. It's not about following rules, but that the point of Christianity, the point of faith, is to have something uh, of a relationship with God, to know the divine, to be to love and to be loved. And I think it's really beautiful. And I love I love the heart of it because if you think all like religion is, if it's just a set of ideas that appease some sort of faraway, distant, angry God. It's like, I have to do X, Y, and Z to make that God happy. If that's all religion is, then absolutely religion is bad and the relationship thing is kind of good. But I always struggled with that poem a little bit because I felt like there was something that, that was throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Because I remember um, in, in 2011, the first time I went to go study, uh, study in Canada, I, I, I joined in for, with, a, with a Celtic liturgical service. And it was a group of eight people and they just worked through this set of prayers and this, and this, uh, this sort of rhythm of worship together. And I'd never experienced anything like it. And it was all these prayers that had been drawn from different parts of church history. You know, it was a building, a building and a layering upon of, of everything that had gone before it. And it was profoundly beautiful. I'd never experienced anything like that. And in that moment, I fell in love with, with the traditional, with something that, that for the most part, I'd kind of been, kind of assumed was a bad thing. I kind of saw those things as being overtly religious and I needed to just sort of focus on my relationship with God. But I discovered something more of my relationship when I stepped into this very, seemingly very religious experience. And so when I see this sort of statement or when I hear it kind of bandied around, I'm like, I get the heart. I love it. I, I know what you're trying to say. It's like, it's, it's supposed to be this incredibly personal thing. But there's a richness when we dive into tradition. And there has sort of been this thing within contemporary Christianity for a long time, which has kind of been to avoid some of those things or distance ourselves from some of those things. And to the point where it's almost like we actually don't understand that thing or I don't really understand that word. And so there are all of these traditions and rituals that have almost fallen by the wayside a little bit as we give way to, to what we sort of know as our, as our Christian experience. And I think the sad thing is, is that so many of the people that I saw who, who sort of used this paradigm of like relationship only, relationship only, what I, what I started to see was more and more of them fall away because they were missing something of the structure, just some of the things that, that, that um, instilled some, some habits and some good practices. And so, you know, we don't like, we don't really like words like discipline or like, you know, those kinds of things that kind of seems like a bit of a foreign concept to us. Certainly liturgy is not a word that we throw around in this church often. 
And, you know, we talk about, you know, like I think we do a really good job of, of doing communion sometimes and probably once a year we get to do some baptisms and those are all really good. But, but for the most part, those kinds of things just, just kind of give way a little bit to whatever our own kind of relationship looks like. And so that's not to, that's not to criticize it, man. If you've got a good daily rhythm of, um, you know, reading your Bible or, or, you know, word for today or whatever it is, or, you know, those are all really good things. But but there has to be something for us in this idea of religious. It's not, it doesn't have to be a scary thing. To be a Christian is to be religious. To make a statement about our relationship with the divine is still a religious statement and that's okay. And we can build on the traditions and the, and the, and the history that's gone before us and the prayers of yesteryear and we can incorporate them and we get to, we get to build on those together. And I, I think that that's incredibly exciting. And so for years, I've always found myself, whenever I get the opportunity and I, I sit in on some sort of like liturgical service, I find myself oh, totally blown away. And so every, every now and then, you know, even in this church, I'll bring out some sort of benediction or ancient prayer and I'll, I'll, I'll pray it over us because I find it, I find it in, to be incredibly meaningful. And so um, over the last like month or so, or even a couple months as we've been, uh, been engaged in a conversation as a community about, about what do we want to be? What do we want to do? What do we want to move towards as a, as a body of believers? I found myself thinking more and more about this whole thing of liturgy. Now, what is liturgy? I don't really know why this isn't working, Kevin, sorry. Um, <clears throat> So what is liturgy? Liturgy is the plan, the structure, the followed flow on a Sunday that a community uses to intentionally draw closer to God and towards one another. Liturgy is incredibly collective. Uh, it's the idea of serving God and one another together. It is symbiotic, it is self-sustaining, and it is life-giving. Liturgy translates to the work of the people or public service. It's this idea, particularly around like Sunday church, that we actually come together and we, we really do this thing together. And that's not to say like part of liturgy is to like sign up, to like set up chairs and to make snacks and to do coffee. Although if you wanna help with those things, totally cool, right? <clears throat> but actually to see our time together uh, as some sort of work that we come together in the service of God and in the service of one another. And it's a beautiful picture. This is what liturgy is, to discover something and to lean on one another, to, to move towards God together and to, and to use some sort of plan to create some sort of thing that, that takes us on that journey together. And it would be silly to say that, you know, like a lot of people would look at a church like ours, a vineyard church, they would say that's a, that's a non-liturgical church. And I actually think that's almost unfair because every church has its liturgy. Like when you rock up here every Sunday night, if you've been coming for a while, you know that we'll probably do like three or four songs of worship. You know that there will be notices. You know that there will be a time of prayer. We often give space to let the Holy Spirit move. Um, you know that uh, myself or Vic or someone else or a guest speaker will come up and give a message. And then we sometimes have prayer at the end. And then we gather together as community. That is liturgy. That's what we do. That's how we, how we enter into this thing together. But I think that, I think that for me, like God has been just putting, like, just putting a little bit on my heart to, to look at that just a little bit and to invite us deeper into that, to be more engaged because it is really easy for Sunday to just become this thing that we do, that we show up to that we just kind of let happen to us rather than this thing that we step into and participate in. I think as we explore this thing of liturgy, as we, as we ask questions and inquire of ourselves as a community, things we wanna do, I think there's an invitation for our voices to rise within and as part of our liturgy. 
I think that is meaningful. Liturgy plays a part in uniting us. It draws us into oneness as the body of Christ and oneness with God. I love that this concept comes through time and time again in the scriptures. All through Acts, we see, we see people, the early Christian church, coming together as one, sharing things together, breaking, uh, breaking bread together, um, uh, learning together. Like This is the value of the early church and has continued to be. Acts 4.32 says this, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. So something happens uh, in the liturgical flow of life that, uh, that this community gathers together and it's like, actually, like, like what's mine and what's yours, the line between those things, that's blurred. That kind of disappears a little bit. And actually, like, what's mine is yours. What's yours is mine. And we sort of share in this thing together. It's a beautiful picture of oneness and togetherness. Hebrews 10, 24, 25 says this, Let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And so there's this thing of like, oh, well, actually, like if we value this process of coming together, we get, to, we get to inspire the best in one another, that participating in this thing together isn't just something we do for ourselves. It's not like we just show up at church on a Sunday and there's some guy at the front who gives you like three or four things about how to make your life better for the week. Although maybe there might be three or four things in it that make your life better this week. I don't know. But it's like if church was only for ourselves, it actually becomes like this, this difficult thing to do over time. But actually when we come to church and it's to be a part of something, to connect with each other, to inspire and encourage good works and stir up love in one another, that's something beautiful and that happens within the flow of liturgy. First uh, Corinthians 1.10 says this, I appeal to you brothers and sisters in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree with one another in what you say and do that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Now, I don't think that means that we have to like agree on every theological thing. Like we can come and we can have diverse opinions, different theologies a little bit. We can wrestle with those things and talk about those things, but we can be united together. We can, we can together journey towards the person of Christ. There is this sense of unity that comes when we, when we come together and we grow in Christ towards the things of the kingdom. Liturgy is a beautiful thing that unites us and draws us towards being one. One with each other and one with God. This is what Jesus is forming in us, stirring in us, calling and inviting us towards. And liturgy can take many shapes. For some of you, even just the thought of liturgy, the first thing that your mind kind of goes to is like just some old church. Maybe your grandma dragged you there when you were a kid, you know, and there was a whole bunch of stuff being said in a language you didn't know. But liturgy's kind of taken shape all through Christian history. It's, it's looked different ways. Every tradition that's kind of sprung up um, gives rise to their own prayers, to their own worship songs. And so it doesn't matter whether it's Catholic uh, or, or um, uh, Protestant uh, or Anglican or Pentecostal, like there are these different liturgies that rise up out of, a, out of every person, out of every congregation, out of every body. And the intention of that liturgy is to sort of build on that which has gone before you and to discover and grow towards unity and oneness and towards the beauty and goodness of God and deeper into relationship with Him. So liturgy, liturgy can take many shapes. It can look many different ways. But ultimately, it is the shared expression of worship and connection with God. 
And there's a couple things that I wanna to point to this evening as we talk about liturgy, because I do wanna try and, and give you something practical that it's not just what happens here, but I want, I want you to consider what these things look like for yourself as well. And so regardless of, of which tradition you're sitting in or, or the story that you're a part of, liturgy tends to have some very specific components. Um, the first is that... Um, Every liturgy utilizes rituals of some kind, some common ones. The most common ones you'll see are communion, the Eucharist, the, the taking of the bread and the wine. You'll see that in, in any church denomination around the world. And this is an important thing. The ritual is the practice. The practice is an acts we perform that draw us closer, that tell the story a little bit. So we take seriously when Jesus says, you know, take this bread, it is my body broken for you. And take this, uh, take this wine, it is my blood that is shed for you. Like that, that story does something. And when we take those things, when we participate in that religious ritual and that liturgical ritual, it connects us to the story somewhat. So liturgy utilizes ritual. Every liturgy also has some kind of rhythm to it. And so scripture, the more time you spend looking at the, the sort of grand story of scripture, the more time you spend uh, invested in this faith thing, you see that there are, there are seasons, there is a flow, there is an acknowledgement that there are parts of life that are, that are wonderful and beautiful and good. And there are parts of life that are actually filled with suffering and are incredibly hard. That there, is, um, there are summer seasons and there are winter seasons and that actually the life of our faith moves forward through those things as well. And that even within the gospel story, there is a, a movement from creation to a fall um, to, like, to, to repentance and towards discovery and relationship with God. There are these flows and rhythms. And so what's beautiful is that, you know, every time someone plans a, 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 a service um, or some kind of liturgy, there's actually an intention. There's a rhythm and a flow. There's a sort of start to finish. You know, um, our worship leaders in our church, like they, they wanna know what we're preaching about so that they can, they can plan their worship set around it. And our worship leaders pray about the songs that we sing and they take us on some sort of like trajectory. Isn't that cool? There's a rhythm and there's a flow. And so every liturgy has some sort of rhythm and flow to it that gives space to the story to move. And every liturgy utilizes repetition. Repetition is the repeating of these rhythms and rituals for the purpose of strengthening. Repetition, I think, when you've been in church a long time, repetition begins to feel boring, right? Church begins to feel boring. But often that's more of a perspective thing or, or, or a state of the mind because repetition is incredibly good for us. You know, you think about anything in life that you've practiced over and over again. You know, if you go to the gym once, it's like you're like, oh man, I'm really sore. I don't really know if I can go back and do that again. But, you know, but then like no change happens. You don't, you don't get any fitter. But repetition is this important thing, you know? If you, wanna, if you wanna get stronger, if you wanna get fitter, you go to the gym repeatedly. You don't just do one week of sessions. You've gotta go six weeks, 12 weeks, 16 weeks, a year, two years. You know, you build these things, you develop, you strengthen your muscles. Same thing if you're playing sports or if you're playing music. It's like you have to, you have to engage in something repetitive. Repetition is actually this really good thing that moves us towards the good and the beautiful in everything we do. The artist must practice and repeat over and over so that they can master their stroke. And often I think in, in our sort of consumer culture, in our Western culture, it's like the concept of repetition bores us and it stunts us. And I think often what happens within church circles is that our faith is stunted because we're, we're almost just like put off by the idea of repetition. 
just becomes too hard. It just becomes another thing that's too difficult. But repetition is critical. And so any, any good liturgy draws you into the same thing over again. Not so that you just get used to repeating it over and over, but that you discover something meaningful and wonderful the deeper you go. It's like the more times I've prayed the, the uh, St. Patrick's Canticle, the more, t- like the, the more meaningful it has become for me. This is what repetition can do. I hope you guys are with me because um, to me, this feels like, like something meaningful for us. You know, there have been studies done around the world that are talking about uh, basically the contemporary church is, is really struggling at the moment to engage with, with people. And one of the things that's really working is that is, is a uh, re- reintroducing of some of the tra- uh, traditional liturgical patterns of worship. Like people are kind of captivated in a world that's all about consume, consume, consume. There is something that is happening in the idea of being present and engaged and participating in this liturgy in, in a new and in, in meaningful way. And so even though a church like ours might often be defined as non-liturgical, um, it's important to know that we do have something of a liturgy. And even though it feels less formal, that doesn't make what we do unintentional. As a community, as a people who gather six o'clock on a Sunday night here in Forest Hall, we are committed to growing together in God and with one another. We as a group of people are invited to discover the depths of relationship, of community and of togetherness, of discovering God in the midst of who we are and how we do this life together. And so at this point, I want to take us into, into two sets of questions. The first sets of questions, and it's almost like I just want to provide a little bit of space for you to just inquire of these before God. But the first question is this, what does a liturgical life look like for me? And when I think back to um, the coffees that I have with Georgia, there are these uh, questions that sort of arise. What, what anchors me daily in God's promise? So that's a question I want you to ask yourself. So even just as we sit here this evening, it's like, God, I just wanna invite you Come and rest on our hearts in this moment. And I want you to ask for yourself, God, what is, what is it that anchors me daily in your promise? I wanna invite you to prayerfully ask yourself this, what allows me to be present to God? What is it I do? What, what have I included in my rhythms that allow me to be present to God in the workplace, while I'm studying, while I'm driving my car? Like, what is it? What allows me to be present to God? And what is it that centers me in God's story? What, what centers me in that story? And when I talk about being centered in the story, I'm talking about where, where do you find your identity and your purpose? You know, what part of that? Like what's happening in the rhythm of your, of your day or your week or your month that says once again, like, you know, this is who I am. I am God's beloved. And I get to participate in the kingdom and be God's love to the world around me. What anchors you in that story? What centers you in that? And then I ask the same question for us, for this group of people that gather and do church together on a Sunday night? What, what anchors us? What anchors us as a body in God's promise? What allows us to be present to God? What centers us in God's story? And I kind of put this out here, not, like, not as some sort of rhetorical thing. It's like, man, I, I want to like invite your response. Like, these are the things that over the next few weeks, it's like, man, I've been thinking like, what if we did this together? What if we introduce this thing on a Sunday night? I'd love to know what's coming out of the heart of our people 
something that we could introduce into our liturgy that would stir something in us and move us deeper into the story of God, into the person of God. I want it to be a conversation of ideas. But I want to invite you to think about liturgy. And actually, I want to invite you to think about like what are sort of the things you've struggled with any sort of like religious language or religious ideas, which things have you struggled with in the past? And which things might God be inviting to, to actually just redeem a little bit? And I want to encourage you to, to think about your life as a liturgical rhythm and to think about our church, not just, not just attending a church service, but to participate in a liturgy, to come together, to be together, to be present to one another and move collectively towards Christ. I want to invite you to think about that. I want to think about. I want you. To, I want to invite you to think this week about what anchors you and us daily in God's promise. What what allows you and us to be present to God, and what centers you and us in God's story. I want to invite you to think about it, and I want to invite you into the conversation. And I want to say your voice matters. It's not really about what ideas I introduce. It's about what we long to do as a group of people, just humbly moving towards Christ. And so, Father, I want to thank you for this evening. I want to thank you that we are together in your name, that we can know your love, that we can enter into relationship with you. And I thank you that there is a richness of tradition and history that has gone before us, 2,000 years of people knowing you, responding to you, um, being uh, impacted through an, uh, meaningful encounters with your love. And I pray that, that, that we would read their words or think about their words or draw on the inspiration from, from yesteryear and that we would discover a depth and a richness to our walk with you and our journey with one another. Lord, in, our, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.